Well, welcome back and welcome to part four of our series that we've been calling Triggered. Uh, if you've been with us the last four weeks, or if you haven't, I want to do a quick summary of where we started and where we've been going up to today. We started by talking about the fact that when we don't have a real strong sense of who we are, our self-image, our, our self-identity, uh, and who we are, who God has created us to be, and who God says we are, then it's very easy for a lot of things to trigger us, and we become very offended. A lot of us live a lot of our lives, we're always offended because we're trying to protect our ego. And then we talked uh, about um, how that can lead to a lot of us becoming very judgmental because we project that to other people and we have certain expectations of what they should be. And when we're not rooted in the fact that we are loved by God, then we can often project a very judgmental attitude to the people around us as well. And then last week we talked about how uh, we've become a very polarized culture and society where we all want to be right or think that we're right. And the ideas that we have, the beliefs that we have, instead of bringing us together, oftentimes rip us apart. And we saw how Jesus teaches us to take the love that God pours into our life and to express it in compassion and shows us that that is our real religion. That is the real way that we're supposed to uh, go about our religious life as we, as we relate to God and relate to other people. And today, what I want to talk about is uh, one of the significant reasons why we're so easily triggered, why we can become easily offended and judgmental and polarized. And the reason oftentimes is because we are needy. Because at the end of the day, we're needy. We have a lot of needs. Is there anything that you really need right now? What are you thinking of when I say that? And if you're with us uh, live uh, on Sunday morning on our YouTube premiere, I would love for you even to throw something in the comments right now. What do you really need at this stage of life at this moment? How many of you need a vacation? I need some time off. I need to go somewhere. I need to relax. I need to rest. I need some adventure. You know, a lot of us, we skipped what we were planning for our uh, vacations in the last six months. We didn't get to do the road trip that we were hoping to do. We didn't go on the camping trip that we go on every single year. Do you remember when it didn't seem like a horrible idea to get on a plane and go somewhere to change scenery? A lot of us missed the vacation and maybe we never even really were able to take the time off or at least not in the way that we normally do. And you're saying life is stressful. We're still in the middle of a pandemic and we've been working hard all the way through. I need a vacation. How many of us need some more money? Man, my life would just be so different. It would be transformative if I got a raise or if I got a a better paying job. I just, I need some more money. Things would be so much better. How about a little bit of romance? I need a relationship. I need somebody in my life. I need to, to feel a certain way. Oh, man, I just wish I was with somebody or I wish I was back with somebody or I I wish my relationship right now looked different. You know, there's a million needs. We could talk about all kinds of different ways where we are needy. And and in our needs, uh, we're often trying to to fill those, but we can also feel insecure, like we, we don't have enough. Or we're not in the spot in life that we want to be. And here's the really good news that I want to talk about today. God really wants to give us everything that we really need. God really wants to give us everything that we really need. But when we think about all those things that you might say, I need today, I want to push you a little bit further because I don't think we always really do a good job of identifying what we actually need So if we pick up some of the examples we already talked about and we think about, I need a vacation. 
Well, there's a deeper need under that. None of us need a vacation just for vacation's sake. There's a reason why we really want or need to go on vacation. It's probably either because we want to rest, our lives have been stressful, we've been working hard, we've been putting out a lot of energy and we need to recharge. So some of us really need to go and just relax. You want to sit on a beach or by a pool. You want to sit out in the forest somewhere camping and just rest and recharge. Other people, maybe when it comes to a vacation, it's because you need some adventure. It's because you've been going through the, 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 the mundane stuff of everyday life and you need to go feel alive again. You need to go on a, on a great hike, a great adventure. You need to go see something new and experience something that you normally don't just to wake you up again. For money, none of us just need money for money's sake. We have deeper needs under that. There's a whole bunch of them. For some of us, it's because we feel like we need to be more comfortable. We need to be able to have money so that we can buy things that make our life more pleasurable. We really enjoy some stuff. Maybe we're bored in our lives and we think, oh man, what I need is to really, to really buy something that will help me enjoy life better. Or I need security. I mean, there's a lot going on in the world and, and if I had more money, I wouldn't worry so much. I wouldn't have so much anxiety. If I had more money in the bank, if I had more income, I would know that those things would be covered. With romance, our, our real need isn't just romance. Our real need goes under and beneath that. It's the need to feel accepted and loved, to be able to have intimacy, to do something about the loneliness that we feel. We have to drive deeper to really figure out what we actually need because, again, I believe that God really wants to give us everything that we really Need And so today I want to think through what some of those needs are and how we can not settle for some of the substitutes, the things that don't go all the way to give us our needs. Because sometimes where we get confused is we settle for something that we want and that we think really will fulfill and satisfy us, but we don't go deep enough. And so we have all these triggers in our lives that lead us to stress lead us to be offended, lead us to be judgmental, lead us to be polarized. Because at the end of the day, we don't feel or we don't have what we really need. So we're going to drill deep down on that today. Uh, and I want to talk about the verse that we've been talking about all the way through this series. John 3.16, one of the most famous verses that's in the Bible is Jesus speaking, saying, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so we've been taking that section by section. And if I could summarize that in just a few words, a quick phrase, I might say it this way. God loves and gives, and we believe and live. Here's God's role. God loves and he gives. God loves the world so much. That is his primary uh, orientation to the, to the world, to us. To every person. It's love. And not just a love that stays far off, but a love that pursues us. So he gave his son. He sent his son. He comes to us, into our world, to love us. That's what God does. And what we do is that we are, are invited to believe everyone who believes in him so that we shall not perish, but have eternal life so that we can believe, we can really trust that, really trust that picture of God, really trust that God loves and gives. And when we do, we believe and we will live. 
Today we talk about that last part, eternal life. What is eternal life? What does it mean to really live, to really experience the life that God has for us? Jesus is teaching us how we enter in another phrase he uses, how we enter the kingdom of God, how we enter uh, the life that God is inviting us into when God gets what God wants. And what God wants is to give us everything that we need and for us to live with him. So when we talk about eternal life, the phrase in Greek, it literally is uh, the life of the age. Literally what it means if you just translate it straight out. And for the first century Jewish people, they would have thought of this in a couple of different ways. And one of them would have been uh, the resurrected life. And so not all Jews, but many of the Jews at this time believed in the resurrection of the dead. That one day God is going to do a, a decisive action in the world and he is going to resurrect the dead to a bodily resurrection. And so they referred to that as uh, the age to come. There's going to be a life in the age to come when God uh, destroys all injustice and evil and he brings to life his people in a bodily resurrection. And they would have also thought of it um, in terms of uh, this, this deep and profound intimate relationship with God. And so eternal life becomes both uh, quantitative. So there's a quantity to it. It is forever. And also qualitative. There's a quality to it. There is something that we experience in it. And what Jesus makes clear when he talks about eternal life and the coming of the kingdom is that it is available now. He, he says, as I come to you, the kingdom of God is available now. Where I'm offering you a taste of eternal life now, the quality of life that God wants to have for you, both now and forever. Dallas Willard's uh, definition of eternal life is this. It is interactive relationship with God and Jesus now and forever. It's an interactive relationship. It is, we are right now intimately relating to one another. What in the New Testament we get, one of Paul's famous way of talking about it, he says, in Christ. I now live in Christ. And it actually goes both ways. He says, I am in Christ. And he also will talk about Christ is in me. That there's this intimacy of I'm in him, he is in me. Where do we find God? Where should we look for God? Out there somewhere? Actually, and we need to learn to really trust this. We'll talk about today a little bit how you can do that. How do you trust the fact that if we want to hear from God, that we are actually in Christ and he is in us. That the spirit of God lives in us. This was actually what the prophets like Jeremiah was always prophesying in the new covenant. Saying that you've always had these laws and these rules and you read your Bible. And that's really good and important part. And again, I'm going to talk later about how these things go together. But then they talked about a time where God's spirit will be in his people. You will know me. You will know my laws. They'll be written on your heart. You will be able to interact with me. Hear from me, God says. Because I will be so intimately in you, within you. Hmm, eternal life. This incredibly interactive relationship with God and Jesus now and forever. So today I want to back up in the, in the chapter uh, of John that we read that verse, John 3, 16, and go back to the beginning of John chapter 3. Because this is part of a conversation that Jesus is having with a religious teacher named Nicodemus. So go back with me to John chapter 3, 
verse 2, you have this teacher of the law, this religious official, Nicodemus. And in verse 2, it says, he came to Jesus at night and said. Now, what's happened in chapter 2 of John is that Jesus had just gone into the temple and he flipped over their tables and he pronounced basically a judgment on the temple um, and, and said, this is all going to be gone and you can tear it down and I will raise it up in three days. He's talking about himself. And so already the religious leaders are really mad at Jesus. That's why Nicodemus, one of those leaders, comes at night because he wants to have this conversation. He sees something in Jesus, but Jesus is already the enemy of people like him. Jesus is setting himself up against the temple system uh, and, and uh, not just arbitrarily the temple system, but how they are running the temple system and it's been corrupt. So he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, that means teacher, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Okay, this is important. So Jesus has already done this really visible um, judgment on the temple. People are already really mad at him. So this guy comes at nighttime, kind of in secrecy, in the darkness, usually signifies on a deeper level, some confusion, wanting to clarify things. And he's saying to Jesus, I get it. There's something different about you. You, you, you can do things that we have seen I, don't, I can't explain it except that God is with you, that God is working this power through you, that you're, you're from God because no one could perform these signs if they weren't from God. Now, what I think Nicodemus is identifying here is what I really want out of my religious experience, I see in you. I see that you're doing something that's not just ordinary. You're living a whole different kind of life. You have a whole different kind of power that I need to know about. I need to understand this. This eternal life that he is experiencing, grasping, that Jesus is, um, is, is putting on display for people in his own life. And this is going to get to something. We've talked about this before, but I want to go back to it. Um, the difference between... A liminal experience and a liminoid experience. Let me, let me explain that. A liminal experience is transformative. The word liminal, it literally means a threshold. So it's uh, an experience that's transformative. Like in a threshold when you go from one room to another or you go from outside into inside. That it's all different. And so we have... And all religions actually have uh, an emphasis on liminal experiences. So we'll just think about some of them in life. Uh, a graduation is a liminal experience. You begin as a student and then you graduate and now you're a graduate. You are something different because of the process. And there's a time where you cross over from being one to the other. A wedding is an experience of liminality. You come in as single and you walk out as married. It's transformative. We're no longer the same. Something significant has shifted, changed, been transformed. A liminoid experience has the same characteristics of a liminal experience, but doesn't have the same transformative power. So for example, you could say, oh, I'm so tired and I'm so stressed out. I've been working so hard. I need to go on vacation. And you go on vacation and you step out of your life and you rest and you recuperate and you have a good time and you go on some adventures. And then, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. This has happened to me. You come back and on your way home, you say, this has been so good for my soul. Oh, I feel rested. I feel wonderful. I feel at peace. This is exactly what I needed. And by the end of the first week back to work and back to real life, you go, I need another vacation. 
Oh, I got to go again. Oh, I'm tired and stressed out. That's liminoid. It looked like, oh, I've transitioned from being so stressed out and, and overworked. And now I am at peace and rest. I got what I needed. But it didn't last long. It just didn't change anything. Not in the long term. You could do that over and over and over. In fact, some people have noticed that these are the kind of things that we get addicted to. Things that almost work are so hard to resist. Things that almost work, right? Think about gambling. Why do people get addicted to gambling? Because there's the promise that I could win, I could win, I could win. There's a chance that I could win. And if I won, oh, my life would be transformed if I won all this money. And then if you go somewhere, if you go to a casino or something to gamble, what they try to to, uh, teach you, what they try to impress upon you is that that you could. And so you win just enough to think that you're going to hit the jackpot. You got to keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back. But the house always wins. And it kind of runs this this addiction. And you can look at substances are very much the same way. They promise uh, an escape. They promise relaxation. They promise excitement. They promise a great feeling. And it almost works. That's why we get hooked to it. They're liminoid experiences. In religion, we have liminoid experiences. We go from maybe really emotional experience to emotional experiences. Oh, I love this music and it puts me into a great emotional state. And that can be really wonderful and a really great part of your spirituality. But sometimes if that's all it is, then you walk away and a few hours later you don't feel it anymore and it doesn't really translate to changing your life at all. And you're just going from high to high. Some of us had these experiences when we were younger, going to Christian camps or retreats and we would go and we'd get so pumped up and there was an amazing speaker and there was great relationships built and all that kind of stuff. And then we came back to real life and we went back to doing life the exact same way that we used to. This is what Nicodemus is trying to avoid. I see something in you, Jesus, that is from God that's really transformative. You couldn't do those signs that point to a greater reality without coming, being sent from God, without him being with you in a deep way. And that's what the discussion is going to be with Nicodemus and Jesus. So keep going. Verse three, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now being born is perhaps the great liminal experience going from being in the womb to being birthed into the world. A huge transformation takes place. Life is never the same when that happens. And so it's a really great and wonderful way for Jesus to give the picture to Nicodemus and for us of what it looks like to really enter into eternal life, to have a liminal experience that transforms us. Now also know that this this isn't just a, a random image that Jesus picks up on. Jewish people in the Jewish world of first century uh, and still today, they have different ways of talking about being born again. In fact, there were six common ways in the first century that Jewish people might talk about what it is to be born again or how you can be born again that they use the imagery for. Here they are really quickly. A Gentile or non-Jewish person converting to Judaism was talked about in terms of being born again. Someone who was crowned king, obviously didn't happen to a lot of people, but when someone was crowned king, that transformation was uh, being born again. You're now a different person. You're a king. A bar mitzvah or for boys or a bat mitzvah for girls was being born again. It's when they turn 13 uh, and they, they transition from being a kid, a child, to an adult. Being married, we've already talked about that a couple of times. Being ordained as a rabbi is being born again. So when you get trained and then they, they tell you you're now qualified officially to be a teacher and then becoming the head of a rabbinic academy or school. 
So now you've been given a position as a rabbi uh, of authority. Now, Nicodemus, what we know about him from the first verse, he was Jewish. So he's not a Gentile who's converting. He had obviously been bar mitzvahed when he was 13. He's an adult. He would have been married because that would have been 100% one of the qualifications for becoming a, a rabbi in most cases uh, and having uh, some authority. And then we know that he was a teacher, a rabbi, and had an authoritative position within it. So five out of the six, he's already been born again. And we all know, he knows, Jesus knows, he's not going to be crowned king. So all of the ways they would have talked about being born again, going through this liminal experience to become somebody else, he's either achieved them or will never achieve them. And so that leads him to his answer of Jesus when Jesus says you need to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. How can someone be born again when they're old? Nicodemus asks. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. So he says, listen, I'm old. And, and what he's saying here is, I've done, I've done all the born again stuff, except for the one that I can't do, but we know we're not talking about that. So what am I supposed to do? Like, are you, I'm actually supposed to get into my mother's womb. I'm an old, married, teacher, Jewish man. I am born again. What are you talking about, Jesus? Beautiful that he says, obviously in this way, it's kind of, you know, a rhetorical way of saying, this can't happen. But when he says, surely I, I can't, you know, we can't go back into our mother's womb. It's exactly what Jesus is trying to tell him he needs to do. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God. There's a great contrast there. No one can enter their mother's womb again. And Jesus comes back and says, actually, no one can enter the kingdom of God. No one can really enter into eternal life unless they're born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. We understand, Jesus says, even if it's mysterious, and I know some of you out there, you'll understand these things better than people did in the first century and much better than I do from a, a scientific perspective. But here's what we all know. Flesh give birth to flesh. Even if we don't know the biology of it, we understand when babies are born, that's what happens. Like a physical person gives birth to a physical person. And even if we don't understand all the mechanics of it, we know that that happens. And Jesus is now going to say, if you want to come alive spiritually, you need to understand the same thing happens spirit to spirit. That's what you need to experience. You need to be born again. You need to be born of the spirit. And then he brings up the wind, which is, which is a great uh, image. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And this is just like the spiritual thing. So now remember, this is uh, thousands of years ago before they had any of the modern science that we do. We've learned a little bit about how wind works. But most of us, like me, really still don't understand it. I mean, you can study it and you can figure out some of the stuff. Some of you probably have. But here's what Jesus is saying is, listen, you probably don't understand where wind comes from and where it goes. But you know it when you see it, don't you? You know it when you see it. When, when leaves are blowing, you go, there's the wind. I don't understand why it's blowing. I don't understand where it comes from. I don't understand why some days it's windy and some days it's not. But you know it when you see it. You can hear it. You can hear the wind. And you can hear the rustling of leaves. You can see the effect of it. So we all know something about wind, even if we don't know everything about wind. We know it when we see it. 
So now he says, this spiritual birth is like that. It might be very mysterious to you, but you know it when you see it. Spirit must give birth to spirit, and you will know it when you see it. In fact, he's probably saying, that's why you've come to me, right? You said, you must be from God. God must be working through you, Jesus. I want to know this. And he says, yeah, it's like the wind. Oh, but we can't, we can't be born again. How can we be born again? He says, you have to be born again by the Spirit. And if you can't really understand that, just know that you'll know it when you see it. So what is Jesus talking about? Do you remember uh, last week, we talked about someone who came to Jesus, and it's interesting, they, they asked him about uh, eternal life, and they said, How, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Such an interesting question. What do I have to do to inherit something? Do you know what you do to inherit something? Well, you don't do anything. You receive an inheritance. That's what an inheritance is. Somebody else has worked for it their whole life. Usually it's a parent or a family member. Not yours. You didn't do anything to it. And they gift it to you. What you do to inherit eternal life is not actually doing anything. It's receiving something. In fact, this is what Jesus is trying to teach about how we enter into eternal life. How we really go through a liminal experience, not just a liminoid religious experience of what do I do to have to really get in and experience this? Tell me all the mechanisms. Tell me all the things I have to say and uh, what's the morals that I have to follow and da 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 What's the ceremonies I need to go through? Those often can be really good but can oftentimes become liminoid experiences. They don't really transform us. Jesus is saying if you really want to get the liminal experience, the transformative experience, you need to be born again. And only spirit gives birth to spirit. Flesh doesn't give birth to spirit. We understand it. Even if we don't understand it, we know, we can see it. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. And even if you don't understand how that works, you'll know it when you see it. So how do we receive? This becomes so pivotal. How do we enter into the kingdom? How do we enter into eternal life? How do we experience the union with God, participation in Christ? We have to receive like a baby. See, I don't think there's any way that a fetus is under the impression that it has to do something in order to be born. I don't think that a fetus in the womb is saying, well, I better start pumping the iron for some muscle tone here. I, I better start thinking about how to learn how to read so that I can be useful and educated and make something of myself. Do you, do you know what a fetus does? receives the nutrients from their mother, receives, 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 receives. And the capacity for a fetus to receive the nutrients from their mother is what gives it viability to be born, to live, just to receive. You must be born again. Well, I can't go back to my mother's womb. That's exactly what you need to do. Spiritually, you need to go back to the womb and receive, 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 receive. Because if you want to live, it's all about your ability to receive from the environment around you the nutrients that you need. And that environment becomes the presence of God pouring into us. And as we receive, he gives us everything that we really need because God really wants to give us everything that we really need Deep down, our acceptance, our love, our self-image, a foundation for intimacy and vulnerability so that we can be birthed into the world, spiritually speaking. And that will, as we continue to receive, build us up, make us stronger, and bear fruit in our lives. 
We'll be able to go out and we will have the strength and the ability to love other people and to be compassionate and to forgive and to fight injustice and to bring God's kingdom to the world. But it's not going to be us going out and saying, here's the list of things I have to do and I got to get my life together and I got to build it up. The, the, what's going to give us strength is we receive, receive, receive. And then along the way, we, we participate. Of course, we participate. But first, we have the roots. See, we know this because that, that receptivity is really one of the key ingredients for life. Think of it. If today you went out and got a stone and you buried it under the ground in really good soil and you watered it and you made sure it got sun, the stone's not going to do anything. You can come back at any time later, dig it up. It's going to be exactly like it was. You do the exact same thing to a seed and a seed will put out roots and a seed will sprout out of the ground. And what's the difference? It's the capacity to receive. The seed can live and become a living plant that bears fruit. Because when you put that seed under the soil, something in the soil calls something to the seed and says, put your roots out. And again, some of you have studied the science of this and we have some of the science of why that happens and what's going on. And I don't understand all of it. Some of you understand a great, a great deal more, except that something in that seed is receptive to the soil. And at a certain point, there's something above the ground, the sunlight that calls forth that plant and that shoot to come up and to go upwards. And it receives the sunlight and the nutrients that it gets from that. And again, I don't get all of that, but I know it when I see it. And the difference between a stone and a seed is that the seed is receptive to the nutrients that it has around it in its environment. And as it receives, it grows and it becomes something. Jesus uses this kind of imagery in John chapter 15. He's saying something very similar as he is in John 3 about being born of the spirit and about the wind blowing and you know it when you see it, but it's about receiving. It's about going back to the womb. It's about becoming a fetus again. And receiving all the nutrients that we are that births us into life. He says in John chapter 15, he talks about him. I am, I am the vine and you are the branches. And what are we supposed to do as a branch? Remain in me. Make your home in me. Live in me. Stay in me. I'm going to pump the nutrients into you. And your job is to receive it. And when you receive it, you're going to bear fruit. Receive. See, when we talked about a few weeks ago the story of the prodigal son. And we talked about uh, just unpacking what it means that God, for God so loves the world, loved the world and loves the world. That God's primary disposition towards us is to run towards us in love and embrace us. And you go, why is that so important? Is it kind of hokey? Is it just this weird self-esteem thing? And you go, no, this is what the nutrients are of eternal life. That you are loved and you are the beloved. You got, we got to soak that in over and over and over and over. We got to let that permeate our minds and our hearts. Because that's what's going to change us and transform us. Make us into new people. And it's what we have to come back to over and over and over. It's not just one point of conversion. It's I, I always got to, John 15, remain in him. And let Jesus pump those nutrients of love, of grace, of forgiveness, of acceptance of care, of compassion into us. We need to be, learn to trust that. This is what God is li like. I trust it, I trust it, I trust it. We need to learn to displace the voices in our life that tell us something different, that tell us, you know, you're not actually lovable. You're not actually good enough. You don't look right. You're a failure. Do you think God could really love you? Don't you have to clean up your act before God really can love you? 
We're going to trust it. Soak it in. That's why we read scripture. We don't read scripture just to become smarter, more knowledgeable. We read scripture to take that knowledge and to let it be our nutrients. To receive it. Like a baby in their mother's womb. Just receives it, receives it, receives it. This is who I am. This is who God is. This is what he thinks about not just me, but the world. And just like we can see the physical examples in a vine or in a baby, we'll know it when we see it. Maybe you know people like that. You look at them and you say, whoa, they they actually have a peaceful life. Not just because they go on vacation once in a while and then come back and continue to live a stressful life, but they've actually found peace. Wow, that person, they're just so loving. They're not focused on themselves. How did they get there? Well, because... That they've been reborn in that love. They receive it. They receive it. They receive it. Wow, I can't believe that person could be so forgiving. They've been so hurt by other people and they're willing to forgive like that. That's amazing. How could you possibly grow to a place like that? Well, you need to be reborn. You need to receive forgiveness. It's offered to you. This is how we grow up into eternal life. It's, it's how we are reborn is what do we do? Well, we start by receiving So our spiritual disciplines, which are very important, and now we talk about how do we participate, because it doesn't mean that that there's nothing for us to participate in, but good spiritual disciplines are always ways for us to clear a path inside of us, a place inside of us to receive. So here's the difference between just going on vacation and what we call Sabbath rest. Vacation is we might go to a different place. We might go find a, a pool or an ocean. We might go camping. We might do different things. But a Sabbath rest sometimes is still doing all those things. It could be including all of those things. Vacation is often a good part of that Sabbath rest. But it's also a deep prayerful acknowledgement that when we're not working, God is working. And that it's not our job to fix everything in the world. And that we can rest because we trust in God. And then that becomes part of the rhythm of our everyday life. We don't have to go back and work 80 hours a week because everything rests on our shoulders. No, now we learn, we receive. But everything rests on God's shoulders. And so we can live at a better pace. A pace that we've received our love and our worth. We don't have to go earn that. And so now we can live at a different pace. Talked a minute ago about reading our Bibles. We read our Bibles so that we go back to a place like... um, like reading about the father who runs to his, his son and embraces him when he comes home. And we go, I need to not just know that story, I need to receive that story. I need to clear a place because this is a taste of eternal life when I realize that I am God's beloved. Prayer isn't just, oh God, I have a bunch of requests for you. Will you listen to me? And here, please clean up my life, clean up my life. But prayer is often quiet and listening for God because if we trust what Jesus is saying, he's saying that he'll put his spirit inside of us And his spirit will give birth to our spirit. And so in silence, we wait for him to speak to us. Maybe through verses that we've read. Maybe just in a quiet inner voice that reminds us of who we are. Reminds us of his character, who God is. And that we can receive that. We can trust that. We can trust that God is loving. We can trust that God is forgiving. We can trust that God is providing for us. We can trust that we're never alone in this life or that he's just put us out there to be on our own. So I want to encourage you to uh, 
perhaps look at some of your spiritual disciplines and say, uh, how do we make sure that these are regular rhythms in our lives? Not because we need to do them, but because we need to receive through them. And there to realize once again that God really wants to give us everything that we really need and to dig down to the things that we really need. You need a vacation? Yes, maybe. But you really need peace, rest, restoration. You really need some more money? Actually, what you need to know is that you're secure in this life because you're not alone and God is your provider and you can trust that. You really need romance? Romance is so wonderful. All these things are so wonderful. But deep down, what you really need is intimacy. To be able to be vulnerable with someone and know that you're accepted and that you're loved and embraced. And God really wants to give us everything that we really need. And the next thing that Jesus did, if you keep reading after this conversation, says he and his disciples went and they started to baptize. This is another great imagery that we have of this rebirth. Is that they put people under the water. Hey, you're not that person anymore. You're dead to that old person, and they would raise them up, uh, signaling new life, new life in the spirit. You've been reborn in the spirit. Now go live in the spirit and receive everything that God has for you. It's a beautiful picture. And uh, today I want to share with you something special. Uh, we had hoped for quite a while we could do this in person, uh, but we had a baptism a little while ago, and one of our dear sisters, Sojanya Dakabura, um, was taking this powerful step, and we were able to do it even though we couldn't meet in a big group. And we want to show you this now and let you hear from her a little bit um, because this is such a beautiful picture and we want to celebrate what God is doing in her life and the decisions that she's made together as a church family. So take a quick look at that. Hi, I'm Saujanya. My husband, Chandababu. I have two kids. One is Isha Veronica and Jesse Nileka. We moved here to Canada six years back. I would like to share my story today. Uh, I know Jesus through my grandparents in my childhood. My parents did not go to church, so I did not understand the love of Jesus. After marriage through my husband, Chantababu, who was baptized, we are going to church every Sunday. So I learned about Jesus more and I understood he loves me, Jesus loves me and he cares about me. I feel confidence because I have Jesus. I want to be fully with Jesus. So I'm going to take step to baptized in Westside Church. So thanks to Westside Church team, especially to Pastor David. Thank you so much. I would like to share these words to why I am going to baptized. So for God loved the all so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not die but have eternal life. John 3.16 I would like to thank my husband, my family members and my friends and especially many thanks to Pastor David and Westside Church. Thank you so much. So Johnny, it is now my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And 
wow, we celebrate that. That is so beautiful and wonderful to see. And uh, I want to close this series by just asking, perhaps there are some of you out there watching and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus. You, you really want to know what it is to be reborn spiritually and to experience that and to start walking with Jesus. Or perhaps you've already made that decision and you haven't been baptized yet. That's an important step. And I want to just invite you that if that's you, or even if you want to talk about what next steps might look like, I would love to talk you through some of that, uh, maybe answer some questions and uh, help you with what your next steps might be. So if you even want to talk about uh, what it looks like to follow Jesus, make that decision or to be baptized, I want you to email me. Go ahead, do that right now. My email address is dave at westsidehamilton.com. And I would love to set up a, a time and a way that we could talk through that because there is nothing like really understanding and really entering into the eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever really believes shall not perish, but have eternal life. And we're going to sing in just a second. You can sing along or, or listen along a song that talks about just building our lives uh, on that beautiful truth. And we hope you'll stick with us for that. Uh, and then we have a couple of really exciting announcements for you uh, that we want you to hear. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, the eternal life that you offer to us. Today, I pray for anybody who's considering that, thinking about that, maybe has already made that decision. Lord, we pray that you give us the courage to walk with you and to receive, to know your love, your grace, your forgiveness, your goodness, and that that would be the characteristics of our lives, our true eternal lives, now and forever. We are truly grateful in Jesus' name. Amen.